Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Chaga traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Today's myth contains dramatizations of child harm, abusive parenting, and animal cruelty. Please exercise caution for all listeners under 13. Muralay ate quietly with his family, taking deliberate bite after deliberate bite. This was not a normal supper. Something about tonight set the young man's teeth on edge. It wasn't the food or any comment from his brothers sitting around the hearth that made him uneasy. It was the way his mother, Weirancia, glared at him, eyes glowing in the flames. She always had an air of silent judgment about her, but tonight it was particularly intense. Murale prayed to the god Rua for something, anything, to come and break the silence. Finally, his mother spoke up, addressing his brothers. Nturu, Nsanya, I have a lesson for you both. Murale stopped chewing. His two brothers perked up at their mother's words. He had a horrible feeling about what she was going to say next. Murale and I were out gathering calicacia roots earlier today. And your older brother said the strangest thing. Mother, I can explain. Quiet, Murale. Don't interrupt the lesson. See, Murale and I were out gathering, and he found the most splendid root we'd seen all day. It must have been the size of a small tree branch. She's exaggerating. It was a little larger than a fist. And Murale told me to put it back. He didn't want us to eat it. Why was that, Murale? I don't... I don't see why it matters. We wound up keeping it anyway. Tell them what you told me! <sighs> the root reminded me of Insania when he was an infant. <laughs> oh, that's right. Your foolish older brother wanted to let you go hungry because he thought the root looked like a baby. Murale burned with shame as his mother laughed at him. He didn't see what was so amusing about his comment. It was an honest observation. Murale had been thinking more and more about fatherhood recently. He was growing older and would soon undergo his Ngasi initiation ceremony. He was looking forward to being officially recognized as an adult and hoped to soon have a child of his own. Holding the root in his hands had given him a glimpse into his future, and he refused to apologize for his sentiment. And yet, his mother continued. Listen well, my children. A wise man does not let his emotions get in the way of his family's needs. If you're too sentimental, you will starve to death. Her words echoed in Murale's ears long after the campfire had died down. He tossed and turned, thinking about the root. His mother thought he was too sentimental, but he was certain that he would make a better parent than she had ever been. And he was tired of waiting. Once he was sure the rest of the house was asleep, Murale snuck out of bed and tiptoed to the pantry. It took only an instant to pick out the calicacia root. It really did look just like a baby. Murale stuffed it into his bag and hurried out the front door. A few minutes later, 
Murillet was racing through his family's fields, grinning with exhilaration. Behind him, the shadow of Mount Kilimanjaro loomed large against the brightly shining stars. He didn't stop until he reached the edge of a grove of trees. There, he found the thing he sought, a simple tree trunk with a large hollow on one side. Murillet knew the trunk well. As a boy, he'd used the hollow to hide his favorite toys, to ensure that Weyrancia didn't take or destroy them as punishment. But Murillet wasn't a boy anymore. He was ready to be a man, and the trunk would help him once again. Murillet removed the calicacia root from his bag and placed it in the tree. He took up a water skin and began to pour water over it. Then he shut his eyes and waited. He had never cast a spell before, but had been told by his father Magawe and Uncle Washidu that it was possible. The universe always listened to an open heart. After a moment, the words sprang to his mind unbidden. I see you, little root. Kutalwa, be reborn. Kuujanya, grow up. Grow tall. Kutalwa, be a plant no longer. Murillet's skin prickled with goose flesh. The air around him felt alive with power, as if thunder was about to strike. His eyes widened in awe as he watched the root change. Its rough skin grew smooth and dark. Eyes opened on its bulbous head. Lips opened to release a soft cry. Murillet's smile stretched from ear to ear. His mother was wrong. The root had looked like a child. And now it was a child. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. Today we're telling the story of Murillet and the Moon Chief, a tale from sub-Saharan Africa that gives us a unique tour of heaven and a lesson about how a breach of trust can have dire consequences. We'll begin the story of Murillet and his magical child after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's myth comes from the East African country of Tanzania. It's home to the Chaga, a Bantu-speaking people who live in the foothills of Mount Kilimanjaro. Though known for growing coffee nowadays, they're historically an agricultural community that cultivated a wide variety of crops, including bananas and gourds. When European colonizers began to establish a greater foothold in Tanzania in the 19th century, the Chaga were one of the first groups they converted to Christianity. As a result, they were forced to change many aspects of their culture to fit with Western traditions. One such change was the abolishment of many Chaga rites of initiation into adulthood, which were called Ngasi for young men and Shija for young women. While their culture was heavily influenced by local versions of Christianity and Islam, traces of their oldest traditions remain in their folklore. As most recorded tales are taken from post-colonial Africa, it's difficult to tell where the colonizer's influence ends and the indigenous culture begins. Because of that, the myth of Murale and the Moon Chief is an interesting blend of foreign influences and uniquely African themes. The first half serves as a commentary on parental responsibility, as Murale raises a child he created from a vegetable. His later encounter with the Moon Chief is more rooted in local folklore. The Moon Chief is a recurring figure in African myths. His presence often suggests the story will deal with the powerful concepts of death and rebirth. Wei Rancia had concerns about her eldest son. Murale was earnest and hardworking, but he was too soft-hearted. Wei Rancia had seen the cruelty this world could inflict, and she worried that if she didn't prepare him to face it, she would have failed as a mother. Murale's father was too busy struggling to feed them all to take an active role in his children's growth, so the responsibility fell to Wei Rancia. By now, Murale should be showing his younger brothers how to hunt and fight, but instead, he was the sort of boy who obsessed over roots because they looked like a baby. Weirancia couldn't believe he was so naive. Hopefully, her dinnertime conversation with her sons had shamed those sentimental tendencies out of him. If not, she would have to think of a more drastic lesson. Her lingering concern was soon superseded by a more immediate one. Murale looked unwell. Over the last few weeks, his arms had grown thinner, and his ribs had begun poking through his chest. Discussing it with her husband, Magawe, was out of the question. He was too busy harvesting his beehives, and her brother, Washidu, was too close to the boy. He'd probably just blame Weirancia. 
So she turned to the only people she could trust, her two younger sons, who were old enough to take her directions, but not old enough to be suspicious. Have you noticed something strange about your brother? He doesn't look healthy. We thought you knew, Mother. He's not eating. What do you mean, Turu? He sits down for supper with us every night. Yes, but he puts most of the meal in a small sack at his waist. I thought he was saving it for later. Strange. I need you two to watch him closely. Find out why he's doing this. Even as she said these words, Weirancia felt a throb of guilt in her heart. She wished her son trusted her enough that she could just ask. But if he wouldn't be honest with her, this was her only choice. Two days passed before her sons returned with news about where their elder brother had been. As before, Enturu spoke for his shy younger brother, Ensanya. Mirale goes out every night to a hollow tree stump just beyond the animal pens. What does he do there? There's a baby in the stump. He feeds it and then comes back. Nturu, are you saying he was just putting the food in a tree? No, Ma. He was feeding a baby. Do we have a new younger brother? That's ridiculous. No, you do not. One day, my son, you will learn to tell the difference between your vivid imagination and reality. Now go and do your chores. But Ma, I wasn't lying. Go on, both of you. Weirancia sighed as her two children ran off. She would have to check this hiding spot herself. She started toward the very edge of their land at a brisk pace. She had to be there and back again before Murale finished his chores. The orange evening sun burned her eyes as she walked past the edge of their camp. Murale was out in the field, herding the family's livestock. He was almost as thin as their pitiful cattle, who were little more than skin and bones. Weirancia hurried past, careful not to be seen. The stump was exactly where her sons said it would be. It was dead, brittle wood, practically gray. She circled it warily, searching for the hollow they spoke of. Sure enough, as she rounded the tree, she saw an opening in its side. A shape stirred in the dark hollow before emitting a sound that no mother could mistake. <laughs> Weirancia was speechless. There was no way her son had fathered a child without her knowing it. The nearest girl his age lived several hours away, and Weirancia would have noticed if Murale had been losing sleep nine months ago. This child could not have come from a natural birth. Then she remembered the oddly shaped root Murale had found recently. It had gone missing from their storerooms. If this child was born by magic, no good could come of it. What should I do with you, Root Child? My son is growing weak because of you. The whites of the infant's eyes appeared in the darkness. Weirancia gulped and looked away. She did not want to meet its gaze. My son is not ready to be a father. I cannot let you keep stealing from his mouth, but I cannot take you in either. We already have too many mouths to feed. <sighs> you were not born of a woman. You're not a real child like my son is. Would it be so wicked if I... She could not finish her thought aloud. 
Instead, her hands reached forward, almost of their own accord, into the hollow stump. Her fingers touched the child's skin. It felt human, but it could not be. It was not possible for a human child to thrive so well inside a dead tree. Her fingers closed around the child's throat. Still not looking at it, she took a deep breath and squeezed. Soon she felt a sharp snap and the body went limp. Weirancia slowly released her grip on the child and pulled her hands back to her sides. As she turned to leave, her eyes unwittingly passed over the hollow. She saw a tiny hand peeking out, stubby fingers half open, not yet grown enough to hang fully limp. Feeling ill, she nudged the arm back into the hollow and out of sight. She swallowed her bile, composed herself, and walked back toward their home. On the way, she chanted quietly to herself to ease her worry. My son must not starve. My son must not starve. Coming up, Muralay discovers what his mother has done. Hi, listeners. Here's a series I think you're really going to like. We all know that medical professionals are trained to give exceptional care. But what about those who use their skills not to heal, but hurt? In the new ParCast series, Medical Murders, you'll discover a disturbing diagnosis that not every doctor wants to extend your life. Every Wednesday, Medical Murders introduces you to the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead used their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Join host Alastair Murden as he examines the formative years and motives of history's most infamous killers. Dissecting their medical backgrounds with expert analysis and professional insight provided by practicing MD, Dr. David Kipper. You'll investigate a wide range of heinous healthcare workers, like the general practitioner believed to be the most prolific serial killer in modern history, or the dentist who led a double life as a hitman, or even the doctor and gang member who mixed deadly potions for unhappy housewives to use on their husbands. When it comes to these true crime stories, the only thing the doctor ordered is murder. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Three great words. Free Fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Valid one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 1231.24. Excludes tax. Must opt in rewards. Now back to the story. Muralay had a secret, one he could not let his family find out. He had found a root that looked like a child, and against his mother's wishes, he had taken it into the wilderness, poured water over it, and sang a spell that brought it to life. He named the infant Arum and pledged to care for it like a son. Muralay was proud. He'd never cast a spell before, and this one had gone perfectly. But supper was now the most stressful part of his day. Smuggling food from under his mother's watchful gaze was difficult. 
He made a show of eating whenever she looked at him. Every time she looked away, he'd slip another handful of meat and seasoned cassava into the pouch by his side. He'd gotten away with it for almost a month, but one night, his mother's attitude seemed to shift. She did not appear to watch him so closely, and when she did, there was a strange emotion behind her eyes. She somehow looked triumphant. Are you enjoying your meal, Murale? Very much so, Ma. Good. You need to eat more, my son. You're looking too thin. I feel fine, Mother. Honestly, you don't have to worry. A growing boy should eat his whole meal. We don't want food to go to waste. It won't. Don't fret. Murale didn't know what to make of his mother's comments. Usually she said nothing to him at all, and the little she did say was critical or cruel. Her newfound concern was unsettling. He made a show of finishing his dinner, most of which was already tucked away in his pouch. As soon as the fire was out, so was he. He had a child to feed. Though it was the dead of summer, the night was cold. Miralay shivered as he walked, his mind full of worries about his magical son. Miralay reassured himself, maybe Arum would grow up to be just like another brother, and his mother would finally realize that he wasn't sentimental, he was responsible. Maybe she'd even welcome the child. All of this would work out. Miralay arrived at the tree in slightly higher spirits. He expected to hear his child stirring in the hollow stump, but the gray wood was deathly silent. Dinner time! Arum? Are you sleeping? Miralay stopped by the opening on the tree stump. The yawning black hole shifted before his eyes. Confused, he put a hand inside, but when he drew it back, it was covered in a swarm of tiny insects. Black specks flitted in front of his vision, carrying with them a stench that made him gag. The stump where he had laid his child now smelled like rotting meat. In a trance, he reached in, hands outstretched to feel for the baby. He wanted to caress Arum's little head and convince himself that he was imagining things. But the texture of rotting skin was even worse than the smell. Murale did not sleep at all that night. He was too shocked to even cry for his loss. He'd thought he'd done well. After all, he'd managed to create and raise a child before his Ngasi initiation into manhood. But now, the joy of fatherhood had been soured into the pain of loss. What had he done wrong? He had fed the child, made sure it was warm and comfortable. Babies didn't just die for no reason, did they? Murale could hardly taste his breakfast as he ate with his brothers and mother. He didn't want to talk to any of them about what had happened, and his mother would accuse him of defying her by enchanting the root. So Murale ate in silence. As he thought of the infant child again, tears began to form in his eyes. Murale, is something wrong? No, I'm perfectly all right, mother. The smoke from the fire hurts my eyes. 
Well, move to the other side of the fire, then. Foolish child. Miralay did as he was told, taking deep breaths to try and calm his trembling chest. Naturally, it didn't matter what side of the fire he was on, the tears came anyway. I'm sorry, Mother. I don't mean to be annoying. Then get away from the fire altogether. Take your father's stool and sit outside. Miralay could feel eyes on the back of his head as he walked out of the hut. Had his brothers noticed how strangely he was acting? Miralay set the stool on the ground and sat, eyes cast downward. He no longer had the strength to pretend, and his tears flowed freely. He started to whisper an invocation under his breath. Old chair, generations of my family have sat on you. Utusadie, save me from the grief. Kuojanya, help me. Utusadie, take me away. The old wooden stool creaked beneath him. Realizing what was happening, Miralay whispered a plea to the chair, squeezing his eyes shut. Lift me higher than the tallest trees. Sure enough, the stool began to rise. Miralay clutched either side of it and continued chanting. His feet left the earth, dangling below the ever-rising stool. A muffled cry of alarm startled Miralay. He opened his eyes. His family ran out, scurrying like ants under his feet. His brothers, his mother, his father, his uncle Washidu, all of them called up to him in desperation. Come back down, Miraleg. You'll die if you go too high. I'm never coming back, mother. Don't talk back to me, young man. I don't have to listen to you anymore. I hope you treat my younger brothers better than you treated me. Weyrancia shouted a retort at Muralay, but he had gone too high to hear what she had to say. The world below him faded into pale gray as the clouds swallowed him up. Everything he had ever known, his home and his family, vanished, as if it was all a dream he was just now waking up from. As he rose, the sun warmed the back of Muralay's neck, the heat dried his tears and filled him with renewed strength, and he knew he had nothing to fear. Finally, his head broke through the fluffy white clouds, and he was astonished to see lush green fields stretching out before him. There were trees and grass just like the land below, but here the dirt was soft and white instead of the coarse brown earth he was used to. He tentatively reached out with a foot and pressed down on the cloud. The field was springy, but held his weight easily. Delighted, he stepped off the stool. As soon as he left the seat, it dropped back through the cloud like a stone thrown into a lake. Muralay watched it plummet downward for a moment before turning and walking onward. There was no going back. Miralay had not walked long when he came upon a group of people hacking away at some young saplings. He recognized the action. They were gathering the materials for a thatched roof. Excuse me, can you tell me what the name of this land is? One of them looked up for a moment, but did not spare an answer. He just went back to work. 
The message was clear enough to Muralay. They had no time to chat. So Muralay stepped in to join in their labor. The barrier between the men dissolved quickly as they worked. Soon they were laughing and singing together as if they'd known each other all their lives. The tree cutters pointed Muralay to the east, where he would find the nearest village. Muralay thanked them and set off. Along the way, he encountered farmers tending to a field of maize, women drawing water from a well, and young boys cutting weeds. He helped them all, and each one pointed him farther along his way. Muralay was surprised by their charm and helpfulness. His mother had led him to believe that strangers were harmful and not to be trusted. But here, his help was genuinely appreciated. Muralay's chest swelled with affection for these sky people. Finally, Muralay reached a great house with a beautiful thatched roof. A pale, silver light shone from its door. It was strangely familiar to Muralay's eyes, but he couldn't place it. Still, something about this house called to him. He took a step toward it, and then another. With each step, he felt powerful emotions surge through him. Fear, awe, wonder, all clouded by that odd sense of familiarity. He finally passed through the doorway. Inside sat the tallest man he had ever seen. Even sitting down, he towered over Muralay. The figure held a bowl in his hands and looked up to see Muralay approach. You look lost, young man. I am, sir. But I... I recognize you. <laughs> Most do. You must be the Moon Chief. This is your domain. Forgive me, I did not know. Oh, don't bow. That's entirely unnecessary. It's been a long while since we've had any visitors, and to be honest, I needed some excitement. Join me, please. I'll have my cook prepare a meal for you. Muralay was quite famished after his long trek across the cloud world, and he didn't dare refuse the great moon chief's offer. The immense god snapped his fingers, and a cook appeared by his side in an instant. Muralay's mouth watered as the cook set a bowl of food before him, but when he looked at the meal within, his face fell. Is something wrong? Do you have cooked food? The meat and vegetables here look a bit… raw. The moon chief looked to his own bowl and then back to Muralay. His eyebrows were knit in confusion. Muralay was shocked to see that the moon chief's meal was also raw. Did they not know how to cook anything above the clouds? Muralay cleared his throat, eager to dispel the confusion. <clears throat> if you'll permit me, down on Earth, we hold our food over a fire before we eat it. Everything tastes much better when cooked. Show me. The Moon Chief snapped his fingers again, and the cook darted back in. Hearing Muralay's request, he grudgingly supplied more meat and tubers. Muralay gathered kindling and set about making a fire. Remembering everything he learned by watching his mother make supper, he cooked the meat and roots to perfection. The Moon Chief looked at this new meal warily, but when he took his first bite, his eyes bulged out of his head. You're a true wizard, my friend. How did you come up with this notion? 
It was not my creation, but I'm more than happy to share with you, Moon Chief. Look at you, clever and humble. My friend, you will go far in my kingdom. If you remain here and share this knowledge, you will be the most revered man in all the heavens. You're too kind. I couldn't possibly- Oh, please, I insist. You must stay. Mirale felt his heart soar. The Moon Chief was everything his mother wasn't. Kind, wise, and encouraging. He may have been imposing, but his generosity was unparalleled. Though Mirale worried about abandoning his siblings down on Earth, he could not say no to the Moon Chief's offer to stay. He had finally found a place where he would be appreciated rather than mocked. He knew this was the right choice, but he could not silence the pang of guilt in his chest. Guilt that he might never see his mother, father, uncle, or brothers again. Up next, as Muralay's fortunes rise, his family's fortunes fall. Now, back to the story. Though she would never admit it out loud, Weirancia knew she had failed as a mother. She'd tried her best to control her eldest son, Muralay, but he defied her by using magic to turn a root he found into a baby. When Weirancia killed the root baby, her grieving son mounted his father's stool and rose into the clouds. After the stool plummeted back and shattered outside their hut, her entire family was certain Muralay was dead. Weirancia resented him for wasting his life so needlessly. Soon, she grew distant with Muralay's two younger brothers, as the years wore on, Weirancia spent her days mourning her son and her nights trying not to think about her part in his demise. Then one day, hope came back into her life. Weirancia was sitting by the hearth, turning a calicacia root over in her hands, when a mockingbird flew in to circle around her. Shoo! Get out of here, you stupid bird! Listen to me! What? I must be growing senile hearing birds talk. Listen to me. I have a message from your son. My son? What sort of sick dream is this? It is no dream. Muralay needs you to know that he wishes to return home. He has had a wonderful life in the clouds, full of success and happiness. But now he desires to see his family again. Muralay is alive? Well, he has some nerve enjoying himself while we mourn his death. Should I tell him that? No, tell him... Tell him that we'll be waiting. The bird flapped his wings furiously for a moment, then it dove toward the hearth. Weirancia screamed in shock and covered her head, but the bird wasn't going for her. It snatched up her husband's walking stick and sped toward the sky. Weirancia's head spun at the news that her son was alive and thriving. She rose to inform her family about Muralay's imminent return. Up in the heavens, Muralay filled his bags with food and provisions. He was ready to go home. It felt like a lifetime had passed since he had left his family behind to live in the sky. 
His journey to the house of the moon chief had brought him great fortune, and he had lived in this land happily for years. He made many friends, all of them who rejoiced in the knowledge he brought them. With fire, they were able to make delicious feasts and warm themselves at night. His new neighbors gave him gifts of livestock and helped him build a house. Every eligible young woman wanted him as a husband. Although Muralay married many wives and fathered many children, he was still haunted by his first child, the one made out of a root, who hadn't survived a month under his care. Deep down, Muralay still felt quite young. He'd never had his Ngasi initiation on Earth, so he had never become a man in the eyes of his people. And even his new home, his wives, and his cattle could not keep him from missing his family. He needed to make sure they were all right without him. Muralay hoped with all his heart that once his mother learned of his success, she would show him the affection and respect she had denied him all these years. Returning to the world below would be significantly more arduous than it had been to leave it, Muralay did not have his enchanted stool, and he did not know any spells that would allow him to descend to the earth. To make things more complicated, Muralay had acquired far too much wealth to carry alone. The moon chief had provided him with a caravan of animals to carry his things and escort him. He had told him there was only one surefire way to get back to earth. You must walk toward the horizon until you reach the point where Mount Kilimanjaro meets the clouds. From there, you will find your way home. Muralay didn't know how much time had passed as he walked alongside his caravan. His legs grew weaker and weaker until he felt that he might collapse from exhaustion. He leaned heavily on his father's walking stick, which his mockingbird messenger had fetched to prove that his family still lived. Something enormous nudged him, nearly toppling him over. He looked over to see one of the bulls the moon chief had given him. The animal was matching his pace and watching him with concern. The bull spoke. You look tired, Muralay. I am. How much longer until we reach the Earth? It is perhaps another three days' march. I don't think I will survive another three days. What will you offer me if I let you ride on my back the rest of the way? You'll have my undying gratitude and a special place in my heart. That is kind, but will you cook and eat my flesh when I die? Of course not. You have my word. Very well, then. Climb up. Muralay climbed onto the bull's back. The creature's generosity warmed his heart, and he was proud to have the noble beast carry him back to his childhood home. Muralay rode up to his home with his back straight and a broad smile on his face. His family emerged and crowded around him in awe to see what had become of their long-lost son. Muralay dismounted and embraced his brothers, Insanya and Nturu, who were now fully grown. Finally, his mother joined them. As she looked him up and down, her brow furrowed. They've been overfeeding you up there. <laughs> Good to see you too, mother. Do you intend to stay? 
Or are you just here to rub your success in our faces? I'll stay as long as you'll have me. I have nowhere to be. Still lazy as ever. Well, I suppose we could use some help around here. Muralet found his mother's cold reception strangely comforting. Her attitude had not changed a bit in the years they'd been apart, but he could tell something was different. Her sunken eyes and cheeks showed more pain than she'd be willing to admit, and Muralet didn't feel like fighting her anymore. In the days that followed, Muralet worked hard to help the family. He fixed the roof, tended the fields, and helped his uncle gather honey from nearby beehives. The livestock from the moon country supplied the family with an abundance of food. Muralet remembered his promise to the magic bull and made his parents promise they would not slaughter it. However, once on Earth, heavenly animals slowly lose their ability to speak. Muralet's bullfriend could no longer identify himself, and Muralet lost sight of him in the herd. Muralet soon took to making his own meals and refused to eat beef altogether so he would not eat his friend by accident. He felt his mother's eyes on him as he ate separately every night. Her expression was one of open concern. One particularly cold night, Muralet sat by the dimming fire while the rest of his family slept. He was surprised when Wei Rancia approached with a bowl in her hands and an oddly humble expression on her face. I made a stew for you. It's an old family recipe. I wanted to make it for you after your Ngasi, but you vanished before the ceremony. You appear to have become a man all on your own. But forgive an old woman for being sentimental. There's no beef in it, is there? Just goat meat. You eat that, don't you? I can. Should I be worried? You've never been this kind to me before. Kindness is an overrated trait in a parent. No one ever prepared their children for the world by coddling them, even if they wanted to. Muralet was shocked. She had never spoken to him so openly. In the dim light of the fire, he felt like he was seeing her for the first time. She wasn't a monster. She was a woman whose cynical outer shell concealed true love for her family. Affection swelled within him. He should not have resented her all these years. He took a bite of the stew. Though it was delicious on his tongue, his stomach rolled uncomfortably. Something was wrong with it, but he kept eating to appease his mother. Children rarely know what is best for them, you see. If left to their own devices, they would play all day and starve at night. Oh, I don't feel well, mother. Don't be silly. Eat up. You need a full balanced meal. I can't let you starve yourself again. Again? What are you talking about? I suppose it's time you knew. Before you left, I knew what you were doing with your meals. Feeding them to that creature. You knew about Arum? Of course, Miralei. Don't be so naive. Do you think I would let my son starve himself to death on a whim? I did what had to be done. You killed him? How? Wh why would you do that? You were too young and hardly ready to be a father. And that thing was not a real child, it was a demon. Muralet doubled over again as his gut surged. 
He stared at the bowl before him. You've never known what's best for you. Roots turned into babies, promises made to talking cows. I hope this meal will rid you of all these silly impulses. I was a better parent than you ever were. You aren't a mother. You're a monster. Weirancia's eyes darkened with rage. She took the bowl and began to shovel the stew into her son's mouth, past his gagging protests. Mirale tried not to swallow, but his mother was strong for her age and held his nose until he was forced to. He opened his mouth to yell, but Weirancia just shoved another spoonful of meat in. That's when the stew began to speak. You've broken your promise, Mirale. How dare you eat the one who carried you? Mother, what have you done? Please, please stop! Finish your supper, you ungrateful child. Mirale would never know if his mother heard the bull's disembodied voice. The next mouthful she shoved in his throat caused his feet to sink into the earth. With the next, his legs vanished entirely. Bite by bite, he was consumed by the earth. Finally, the darkness closed over his head. As he took the final bite of his stew, the earth took its final bite of him. Weirancia stared at the ground where her son had been a moment before. In her blind rage and the struggle over the meal, she hadn't noticed him sinking. And now, he was gone. Weirancia's long-repressed guilt finally overwhelmed her. She fell to her knees and wept. It seemed that mistrust and magic had once again taken Murale from her. This time, Weirancia knew her son wasn't coming back. The origin of today's story is something of a mystery. Mainland Tanzania was a German colony from 1885 to 1946, and the story of Murale is one of many legends recorded during this time. How much of the story came from Chaga traditions and how much was influenced by German missionaries, we'll never know for sure. Despite its murky origins, Mirale's story teaches a universal lesson about the complex nature of trust. Mirale is mature beyond his years and yearns to tackle new responsibilities. But his mother doesn't think he's capable. Her lack of trust results in the death of the root child and the disappearance of her son. Mirale has little chance of succeeding on Earth, and he only flourishes into a brave and caring man once the Moon Chief gives him the trust he deserves. But ironically, when Mirale returns home, his ultimate flaw is that he is too trusting. He's blind to his mother's true nature, which makes him break a sacred vow and ushers in his ultimate demise. Mirale and his mother teach us a double-edged lesson. Distrust can cause despair, but too much trust can also lead you astray.
Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythology, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday we dive into another dark, classic tale. We'll be back next week with another epic story. Mythology was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythology was written by Robert Teamstra, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Bill Butts, Tiana Camacho, and Kai Jordan. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Killer nurses, deranged doctors, mad scientists. Don't forget to check out the new ParCast original series, Medical Murders. Every Wednesday, meet the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead used their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.